Welcome to Capital Conversations, the ERLC's podcast from Washington, D.C., where we help Christians imagine a new way to engage in the public square. I'm your host, Jeff Pickering, and this week I'm glad to welcome back to the show our friend and coalition partner, Heather Rice Minus of Prison Fellowship. Heather and I are going to be talking about the church, criminal justice reform, and why Christians value second chances, because in this month of April, we are engaged in Second Chance Month. Now, I'm re-recording our intro to this week's episode to let you know that Heather and I recorded this conversation on Friday, April 16th, the week before the verdict was announced in the trial of Derek Chauvin for the murder of George Floyd last summer. Uh, Heather and I do discuss that that trial uh, was ongoing at the time that we recorded this conversation, so I just wanted to set the table here at the outset to let you know that the rest of this episode was recorded last week. And speaking of that verdict that was announced, I want to recommend a couple of different resources that I found really meaningful and helpful as I was processing the announcement of the guilty verdict uh, in the murder of George Floyd. Uh, and I'll link to all three of these pieces in the show notes. The first is by ERLC President Russell Moore, and it's a piece titled, the George Floyd trial and the longing for justice. The second piece I want to recommend to you is written by Dr. Esau McCauley of Wheaton College in Illinois, and he wrote an op-ed at the New York Times titled, How I'm Talking to My Kids About the Derek Chauvin Verdict. And then the final piece actually wasn't written yesterday, but was written last summer in June of 2020, published at the Gospel Coalition by Christian hip-hop artist Shai Lin, titled George Floyd and Me. I found all of those pieces really meaningful as I was processing what all of this means for justice, racial justice in our country, and uh, as Dr. Moore said yesterday, a new American hope after yesterday's guilty verdict. Uh, and in closing this, this intro, before we get into the rest of this week's show with Heather, I want to read to you from Dr. Moore's piece about something that I think many of us are probably feeling this morning. He writes, We might not know how to fix everything, but we know where we can start, and we must. That will require a long and hard work in our callings as citizens, but also for the Church of Jesus Christ to bear one another's burdens with white Christians standing with their African-American and other minority brothers and sisters. When one part of the body of Christ suffers, we all do. If we are, in fact, joined together as brothers and sisters, if we belong to one another, we should act like it. Heather serves as Senior Vice President of Advocacy and Church Mobilization at Prison Fellowship, the nation's largest Christian nonprofit serving prisoners, former prisoners, and their families. She has a powerful, knowledgeable voice articulating the case for restorative criminal justice solutions and working with our churches. She's also the co-author of Outrageous Justice, a Bible study curriculum and book. A native of Virginia, Rice Minus resides in Washington, D.C. with her husband, daughter, and they welcomed a second child as foster parents in 2020. Heather, thanks for joining me today. So good to be with you, Jeff. Thanks for having me. You know, as I'm uh, thinking about your your bio there, 2020 was a uh, was a rough year 
uh, globally, but there's a there's a bright spot there for your family. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. It's been it's been something we wanted to do for a long time to become foster parents, and it's a joy to joy to do it. Good, good. Well, um, for for folks who have been listening to Capital Conversations for a couple of years, you will uh, you will recognize Heather because uh, uh, my former colleague Stephen Harris and I welcomed her onto the show after the First Step Act was successfully passed, and we did what was a really fun episode for us as policy advocates on Capitol Hill to be able to talk about a successful bill becoming a law. Uh, <laughs> Schoolhouse Rock with Heather Rice Minus. Uh, and I will link to that episode in the show notes because uh, many listeners, you you may be familiar with the First Step Act uh, and all of the, uh, the great policies um, that 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 bill accomplished, and, and Heather was right there uh, at the at the center of that debate on Capitol Hill, uh, and eventually getting to see that bill passed both the House and the Senate and signed uh, at the White House. And so, so that was a that was a great conversation. Uh, and also on that conversation, uh, Heather, you you shared more about your personal story about why criminal justice reform. Uh, is is a passion of yours uh, personally, and I'm excited to have you have you back on the show because uh, Prison Fellowship is is one of the ERLC's uh, close partners and, and ally organizations, and it's always great for us to be able to work with a group like Prison Fellowship because you are in this unique space positionally, just like the ERLC, where you're in Washington D.C. advocating for things. But you also are looking to equip Christians and churches. Uh, that's, right. that's a that's a unique place dispositionally to be in, thinking about all those different audiences. Uh, both how do we speak to policymakers in DC, and then how do we help pastors uh, all right. throughout the country think about these issues? Um, it's quite a thing. So uh, let's start off here at, at the at the top. Heather, April is Second Chance Month. Yes, what it is. is. What is that? What is Second Chance Month? Tell us more about it. So Second Chance Month is about raising awareness of the estimated 70 million American adults who have a criminal record and the barriers that they face because of that criminal record. There are actually 44,000 documented legal barriers to things like employment, occupational licensing, housing, voting, um, and, and that doesn't even uh, cover just the general stigma people face because of their criminal record. And so in 2017, um, Prison Fellowship um, wanted to, to claim the whole month of April as Second Chance Month. And um, we've, we've had some success thanks to wonderful partners like the ERLC and others who have uh, joined forces with us to celebrate April as Second Chance Month to really w- raise awareness about this um, group of people and um, the opportunity to really unlock second chances for them. And this has been recognized at the highest levels of the United States government. That's right. Uh, we had President Biden actually dec- uh, did a proclamation this year, um, and it's actually the fourth year the, pre- the Trump administration as well um, would proclaim April a second chance month. And we've had state governors all across the country. Majority of states governors have done um, second chance month proclamations in past years. Uh, we've had local ones, uh, and um, even the the United States Senate usually passes, and we hope we'll still do so this month. They a resolution. Uh, declaring April a second chance month. 
So it is very rare to see a sort of uh, shared bipartisan consensus on uh, big, hotly debated issues of the day. And, you know, some people might might say, okay, well, proclamations, resolutions, yes, there, there's that sort of, uh, there's that sort of uh, do-goodery bipartisan consensus. But for uh, for the Trump administration to start something, for the Biden administration to continue it in declaring Second Chance Month, that's that is no small thing. And the First Step Act itself, as I mentioned earlier in the show, uh, was a bipartisan bill. Why do you think, just thematically, why has criminal justice reform become as bipartisan as it is today? Yeah, Jeff, I love talking about, I think we may have said this in the last show, you know, it's one of the last bipartisan issues we have left in Congress, right? And we want to keep it that, we want to keep it on the bipartisan list um, for sure. Right. Um, I think what's unique about criminal justice is um, people from all vantage points have started to reevaluate um, how we think about responding to crime. And understanding the sometimes, you know, really terrible impact that some of our past policies have had on communities um, and how they really haven't yielded the public safety benefits that were touted to be realized when when we passed some of the policies we had in the 80s and 90s. And um, people come at that from, from different vantage points um, or, or different values sometimes. Um, but ultimately, many people want uh, the same outcomes of safer communities and um, to treat people uh, with dignity and respect and um, to make sure that our punishments are actually proportional, right? Hmm. And um, on the right, I would say, you know, we have seen many people step forward because of their faith um, and um, uh, really care about these issues from um, the perspective of believing in redemption and the opportunity for people to transform no matter um, what you've done. And, you know, I think that's true of the left as well. And we've seen um, there be, you know, a really big narrative as well on the impact on communities of color of our criminal justice policies. And I think the left has done a great job of of championing that in particular. Um, We have seen both sides of the aisle step forward um, on these, these shared outcomes that we want to see happen. We want um, communities to be treated fairly and equally. We want accountability to happen. Um, Crime demands accountability, but we also want to do it in a way that um, is proportional and leads to transformative outcomes and second chances for people once they've paid that debt. And um, I think many of the folks in Congress have realized that, especially for those who have been there a long time, the things I voted for several decades ago have not yielded the promises that I thought they would. And I have my community speaking to me now, my district um, or state speaking to me now about the changes they want to see made. And um, that has allowed for people to come forward, maybe from different vantage points of why, um, but for a shared goal. So it's been really neat to see the bipartisanship over the years. Yeah. I mean, just as a as a visual of that bipartisanship in prison fellowships, uh, video uh, that works as sort of a trailer for Second Chance Month. Uh, you've got both uh, Senator Amy Klobuchar uh, from the Democratic Party and then former Congressman Doug Collins uh, from the Republican Party. 
that is, uh, <laughs> as you said, uh, it's, 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 it's rare. And yet that rarity also makes it very precious. And we here at the RLC, you know, the kind of moral issues that we are advocating for from our uh, biblical worldview, we want them to be bipartisan because that is the way that you get sustainable policy when you have a bipartisan consensus on an issue. So it's a, it is, it is no small feat uh, that it, it is bipartisan at a, it, certainly at a thematic level. And uh, we want to work to keep it that way. And Heather, if I could, I, I want to follow up just, we're here in April, 2021. The summer of 2020 was such a, it felt like there was there was like this apocalyptic almost feeling. And I use that in in the sense of the word of like revealing, right? Mm-hmm. Like how like that not only were we faced with a pandemic that was getting worse and worse month after month, right. but then, you know, I, I don't want to act like it was anything, anything new. And I think it was Will Smith last summer who said racism isn't new. It's just being filmed. Mm-hmm whether it's the the you know the the deaths kind of in a, in a one after the other with Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor and then George Floyd led to this sort of revealing moment marches all across the world all across the cities uh, of the United States across the world that public conversation is is very much un, unresolved even as we're talking right now the trial for Derek Chauvin uh the officer uh who kneeled on George Floyd's neck uh murdered him. I mean, that's what the trial is about. But from your perspective as a criminal justice reform advocate, uh, and as somebody who has been in this space long before last summer of 2020, where do you see Christians in this conversation? uh, And where are Christians right now, uh, as we're coming up on kind of the anniversary of a lot of those marches, and as we've thought about how uh, how to have safer communities that are more restored. Right. Where are Christians at in all of this? You know, I have a mix of bad news, good news, I guess. Um, I think there's um, some discouraging trends. And I, I've seen some polling um, surveying done by Barna that shows that Christians are even more uh, divided amongst white Christians versus black Christians um, in in how they're responding to these issues and how they view racism. Um, and so I think like we've got to do something about that disconnect of the experience yeah. of um, white church and black church in our country. Um, and then on an encouraging note, I mean, at Prison Fellowship, uh, we experienced um, as all of these folks were, were mobilizing so much interest um, in what we do and justice reform and Christians yeah, wanting good. to step forward and get engaged and, and recognizing um, this is kind of a, a wake-up call of like, I care about this, I do, um, but I haven't kind of figured out how to take action. And so I'm going to look for books to read and organizations to get involved with. Uh, we have our, our small group curriculum you mentioned that I, I've uh got to author with some of my coworkers, Outrageous Justice, we had such mm-hmm. an uptick during the summer of orders oh, for Outrageous great. Justice and people joining our, um, using our advocate platform. We have a Justice Action Center on our website um, at prisonfellowship.org that people were just clicking through because they wanted to to do something. I think a lot of times these things happen and people feel helpless. Um, mm-hmm. So the good news to me is even though in some ways, we've been seeing the church as a whole across the country kind of entrench into camps and maybe um, not do a great job of listening to each other and uh, trying to um, 
share perspectives. Um, in mm-hmm. other ways, I've seen some of the Christians who, um, and I'm particularly encouraged by the younger generations, especially who have stepped forward and said, I care about this and I need to figure out as a Christian how I can mm-hmm. get involved and take action and have my faith be put into action. Well, that's really encouraging that you saw an an uptick in uh, people looking for your resources because what I've been so encouraged by are the uh, Christians who are informed on this issue speaking up last summer to say the world is caring about justice, but the world doesn't have the right justice answer. Right. That's with God. That's with the Word of God. It's with the people of God. And um, I mean, I, I know I sent many people to, uh, to to prison fellowship as we just had conversations uh, where, you know, as you said, people feel helpless when these big tragic moments happen. Uh, and so uh, to be able to point people to uh, Christian resources that are tapping into the ultimate answers for restorative justice, which is what we see in the cross, which is what we see in in our Savior. And uh, that's that's what you all do. Um, that's that's really good. I I want to then uh, ask uh, applying this to Second Chance Month. We talk about second chances particularly. Help Christians listening to this understand why, like, what does the Bible actually have to say about second chances? Mm-hmm. That applies to how we think about people who have paid their debt to society, people who, you know, are rightfully convicted of of a crime and that is a you know a different thing than than most of the conversations in the summer of 2020 right, right? um justice matters yes. uh violent crime I, I think we're seeing some statistics that violent crime is there are some trends that it's ticking up and so our justice system matters to keep our community safe to protect the vulnerable and so after somebody has been in in prison what what does the bible have to say about about that man or that woman uh, re-entering into society. Right. You know, I think first and foremost, I'm struck by the Bible and what it has to say about the power of redemption. You know, I, I've been raised in the church. And so to say that all people are redeemable is is kind of a no-brainer to me. But I think, you know, when we really take time to think about that, and is that really where our mind goes when we hear something tragic and horrible and someone convicted of a serious crime? You know, is that where our mind goes? It's like the redeeming power of God that is offered freely to all um, when we hear that, you know, young person has hijacked a car in the neighborhood next to yours or... Um, that someone's taken another innocent life. I think we are challenged uh, when we hear about crime to really put into practice the redeeming power that the gospel speaks of. Um, And I'm also reminded of the many uh, people in the Bible who are influential leaders who are actually convicted of very serious or, you know, guilty of very serious crimes, but we don't think of them that way anymore. Um, Hmm. You you think of Moses, right? (laughs) You know, murdered someone and and got to lead his people to the promised land. Uh, I think of David who uh, was essentially, um, you know, had had another man killed um, and was an adulterer, but is known as a man after God's own heart. So we see all of these kinds of examples in the Bible, but for some reason it can be a little bit hard for us to believe that someone truly can be transformed and changed through Christ. Um, And then the other piece um, I think about in the Bible is how redemption is not only for individuals, but the Bible talks about how 
all things, including governments, um, are under God's power and made for him and through him. And if that is true, then then God also wants us to seek redemption for for things and structures and systems. And um, when I, I mentioned earlier, there are 44,000 legal barriers that people with a criminal record have faced. And that's after post-release, you know, it's barriers to housing, employment, uh, voting, um, things that are actually not connected to their original sentence. And I agree with you, Jeff, that crime demands accountability. We want um, there to be a just uh, and proportional sentence um, given to someone when they do commit a crime. Um, that doesn't necessarily have to mean incarceration, uh, depending on what the crime is and, and you know, the the desires of the victim. We've seen some awesome things happen through alternatives to incarceration and restorative justice programs and um, drug courts and other things like that. But um, regardless of whatever the just punishment is, when that person comes home and they face all of these barriers uh, to living out their second chance, and when you think back to as Christians, we're often going into prisons, right? That's what prison fellowship does. We come into prisons, we share the hope of the gospel, um, we share how God can make you new, but then we haven't done the work to ensure that you can actually practice what we've preached when you get home. Uh, and so, you know, I think that the importance of second chances for Christians is to be part of being in the public square to remove and at least limit um, these barriers to ones that are actually there for 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 legitimate public safety reasons. Um, mm. Oftentimes, they're just so overly broad; they apply to anyone of any crime for you know perpetuity, um, and really aren't ta- tailored to public safety. And for example, you know, we've had people who have been taught how to be a barber or cosmetologist in prison, and in the same state that they're released to, they can't get in. Uh, a license to be a, a barber or a prison upon release. Um, so things like that and, yeah. and you know, not, yeah. not things we should be worried about from a public safety standpoint that are really holding people back from flourishing. Right. Yeah. You, you write in an article um, published last April, uh, last second chance month about a uh, Chicago gym owner who it took him nearly a decade before he was willing to really talk with his clients and, and workers that he had served time. And uh, and you write that he was ready to start over, but seemingly no one was willing to let mm-hmm. him. And I think based on you know everything you just shared, this is an area where the church, the people who our entire faith is built on the second chance that Christ gives us, we're the ones who can lead our communities forward uh, in seeing the way to restore people back into our communities, back into our neighborhoods after they after they have served their time. Uh, I'd encourage folks to, to check out that, that article uh, that you wrote, Heather, What the Bible Says About Second Chances. I'll have it linked in the show notes. I, I want to wrap uh, our conversation now talking about some, some policies. Mm. Like let's, uh, let's put some meat on the, on the bones that, uh, that we've built here. Um, and and I, I think it's probably right uh, to, keep, uh, <laughs> to keep finding ways to, uh, to ride on the wind of uh, the First Step Act. So let's talk about some next steps at the federal level. Uh, so starting here in D.C., talk to us about the Equal Act. Sure. So, you know, the First Step Act had a number of provisions um, 
uh, we still have some work to do to implement the First Step Act, I will say, Jeff, um, in terms of ensuring that there is actually um, programming, robust programming offered in prison. Prison Fellowship is still working on trying to get our programs launched in the Federal Bureau of Prisons, um, you know, all this time later. Um, but there were also some really important sentencing provisions, and sentencing reform can be um, one of the trickier things to get bipartisan support on. But I think that there's just a real opportunity with the EQUAL Act as a next step for Congress and the administration. The EQUAL Act would bring down the disparity we have and how we punish crack versus powder cocaine in the federal system. Um, so many, many years ago, um, especially in the 80s and 90s, there was a lot of concern um, about uh, the spread of crack cocaine and what that was doing to communities. Um, and we we punished crack cocaine far more harshly than powder cocaine at a rate you'd have 100 times more powder cocaine than crack cocaine and get the same mandatory minimum sentence. Um, so then in 2010, we passed legislation called the Fair Sentencing Act that brought that disparity down, but it's still 18 to 1. And then actually the First Step Act made it possible so that the Fair Sentencing Act, uh, which was not retroactive, those who did not benefit from it from before could petition the judge. Um, if you've heard of Matthew Charles, who's from Tennessee, he was the first man released under the First Step Act, and, and he benefited from being able to go back to the judge because of his hmm. um, charge and, and having it been made consistent with the Fair Sentencing Act. Um, but right. the reality is, even those who are benefiting from the First Step Act, they're still benefiting from this 18 to 1 disparity. There are a number of people who are still in prison who could benefit if there was a 1 to 1 ratio and they got the opportunity to petition the judge. And anyone going forward who has a crack cocaine uh, case would benefit if we had a one-to-one ratio of how we punish those crimes. And that's particularly important, I think, for um, racial justice. I think a lot of us are looking for ways that we can actually make an impact in um, disparate treatment of communities of color. And um, over 80% of defendants at the federal level for crack cocaine are black. Um, And we know that... um, Powder cocaine historically had been, you know, more of the preferred uh, uh, cocaine um, form for white communities and more affluent communities. Mm. And so we've just seen these harsher penalties play out in a really disproportional impact. Um, And over 40 states now charge crack and powder cocaine equally. Um, And so there's really not, you know... Um, a reason uh, public safety wise we've learned from the data or um, any other reason to to not be punishing them equally. And so that's what the Equal Act right. would seek to do. Um, there's Good. Senate and House legislation out now. The House bill is very bipartisan. We're hoping to get there on the Senate side as well. Uh, but I think it's a great next step, the Equal Act. Yeah. Talk to us about uh, the state level. What are some bills and policies that Prison Fellowship is advocating for in state legislatures? Sure. So, you know, all sorts of things are happening right now in state sessions. Um, You know, as we speak about second chances, there's a great opportunity to kind of pull away at those 44,000 barriers uh, to second chances. For example, in Oklahoma, we're working on um, housing barriers, also barriers to people getting their driver's license post-release um, and then reinstating their driver's license. And so, you know, that can mean not being able to get to work, uh, which can lead people back down a, a you know, a really bad path. Um, we're working on parole reform. Uh, we've been working on restoring voting rights um, for people with a criminal record. Um, so it really runs the gamut, um, but there's a lot of great opportunities to get involved at the state level as well. So talk to us about that. How can, how can folks get connected with 
the work of Prison Fellowship, uh, both at a uh, policy advocacy level, uh, but as well in their churches. We've got pastors who are listening to this to this podcast. What what uh, what would you say to a to a pastor who uh, is is encouraged uh, by what you've shared today and and wants to find ways for for his church to get to get more involved with prison fellowship and the in the work of second chances with love would love for that to happen and we've got some great resources one of the things I'm really encouraged about is we have 550 second chance with partners many of whom are churches who have signed up to partner with us. Um, And one of the ways that we are equipping churches to celebrate April as Second Chance Month is we have a Second Chance Sunday toolkit. And it's a way for pastors to actually host a whole service or even just, you know, an announcement period during your service during April to raise awareness about this. And we've got some great videos and talking points and verses that you could use. Um, We have a whole social media toolkit, just, you know, spreading the word on social media is so important just to get the word out. Um, And then, you know, if there are individual Christians listening to this uh, and they're they're interested in that advocacy side of things. If you go to prisonfellowship.org, um, you can uh, click on getting involved, and there's an opportunity to use our Justice Action Center. You can write your legislators on the Equal Act or some of our other state reforms or federal reforms in just a, a few clicks. Um, and then we have a program that even kind of steps it up from there to apply to be a justice ambassador. And we actually train people on how you go in and meet with your lawmakers, make the case for justice reform, train you also on how to um, host events in your church, your community. Um, so lots of great ways to get involved. Um, and you can also learn more about the Second Chance Sunday Toolkit at prisonfellowship.org slash secondchances. Awesome. Well, Heather, uh, it was a joy to have you back here on the Capital Conversations podcast. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm thinking back now to that time before the pandemic when you, Stephen, and I were actually in our studio, uh, not having to worry about my dog barking <laughs> while we're recording a show. And uh, <laughs> and I hope that we'll be able to uh, be back on Capitol Hill advocating alongside of you uh, soon, soon enough. Um, but from all of us here at ERLC, thank you for the, the work of Prison Fellowship at, at making April second chance month helping helping focus uh, the often too distracted attention uh, of the church on these issues and and why they matter uh, for those of us looking to uh, live out the integrity of the gospel uh, in our everyday life as well as in our uh, advocacy before policymakers here in DC and in state capitals so Heather thanks again for coming back on the capital conversations roundtable my pleasure Jeff thank you so much for having me and just to make a last plug I will also want to invite you Jeff and um, all of our ERLC friends and all of the listeners we have a second chance month virtual gala coming up at the end of the month April 29th in the evening uh, Brian Stevenson will be our keynote author of just mercy um, who many may know uh, we'll have Lecrae giving a performance and we'll have some amazing second chance stories I'd love for your listeners to hear so I uh, would encourage folks to register for that free event. Yes, I just recorded the ad read for that that'll be playing on all of our podcasting resources. I'm very much looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to uh, to hearing from Brian Brian Stevenson as as well. I'm I'm so glad that y'all that y'all have him at the at the gala. That's fantastic. Me too. It's so good to be with you, and just so much appreciate the work of ERLC and and um, partnering with you. Well, thanks, Heather. This is Capital Conversations, an ERLC podcast from Washington, D.C. If you appreciated today's show, send a link to this podcast to uh, your pastor, to a friend or a family member who might appreciate learning more about Second Chance Month uh, and our partners at Prison Fellowship. 
Be sure to subscribe to Capital Conversations so you never miss an episode. And while you're there in your podcast player, uh, consider leaving us a rating and a review as this really does help others find our show. Resources from today's episode that we mentioned are available in the show notes as well and as always at ERLC.com. Thanks so much for joining us today and we look forward to being back together with you next week.